You are listening to a podcast from The National. How do I make fertilizers sound exciting to you? Well, they play a critical role in ensuring the security of the global food supply. And overnight, the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company Group has gone from the 12th largest nitrogen fertilizer exporter in the world to the biggest, thanks to its tie-up with OCI. How did I do? You're listening to the Business Extra podcast coming from the National's newsroom in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. A little later on, we'll hear about what it's like inside Facebook's global headquarters. But right now, here is the other news you need to know from the national.ae. Dubai's non-oil private sector activity accelerated in May to its strongest pace since 2010, mainly driven by lower prices in the construction and retail sectors. That's according to the Emirates NBD Dubai Economy Tracker Index. New business placed with construction companies rose at the strongest rate since last November. Saudi Arabia is committed to listing its state oil producer Saudi Aramco between next year and 2021, depending on market conditions, according to Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. He also noted that the country's Vision 2030 economic diversification program had now moved into implementation stage, bearing tangible results. Financial and oil and gas sectors in the Middle East, as well as utilities and transport infrastructure, are frequently coming under attacks online. These breaches are widespread, often undetected, and increasingly executed by state-sponsored actors who target the economic and social stability of regional economies. That's according to Dark Matter, a cybersecurity company based in the UAE. Joining me now to talk about some other stories is Kelsey Warner, Assistant Business Editor. Hi, Kelsey. Hello, Mustafa. Um, Adnock, as I said earlier, has come up with a pretty interesting deal. Interesting. Okay, yes. As you said earlier, let's try to make fertilizer interesting for our fair listeners, which, I mean, I think absolutely this is a massive deal, right? Adnock and OCI, a Dutch company owned by Egyptian billionaire Nassif Sawiris, they're combining their Middle East nitrogen-based fertilizer operations to create the world's largest exporter of urea and ammonia, which are critical components to, as you said, the world's global food supply chain. Adnoc will hold a 42% stake in the combined entity, with OCI taking the majority stake. Combined annual revenues of the entity, which will be registered at the Abu Dhabi global market, will be $1.74 billion. So, uh, yeah, a very big deal. And um, if we can first dig into the science of it, you were explaining to me before how urea works, which before yesterday we had no idea. It's true. I mean, I've heard the words urea and ammonia. (laughs) Um, and I knew of nitrogen, which, yes. which, which, I, think, which I think is critical to, to our very existence. But as, as far as my, my research goes, um, urea is made from ammonia and carbon dioxide. That it's made from ammonia is why it's called a nitrogen-based fertilizer, as opposed to non-nitrogen-based fertilizers that I do not have time to research. But here, for these specific products, urea, and then whatever's left of the ammonia that you didn't use to make um, the urea, that's also sold for other purposes, industrial refrigeration, for example. So um, what had been Adnoc fertilizers, that will now be part of uh, the joint venture with OCI. Um, They produce both urea and what they call sellable ammonia, um, as does OCI. When they're combined together, 
in export terms, not mm-hmm. production capacity. In production capacity, they're the biggest in the Middle East and North Africa, bigger than their next rival, which is a Qatari company. Globally, in terms of exports, something like six and a half million metric tons a year, that puts them on top for these products, urea and sellable ammonia. Okay, so farmers rejoice. They'll all be now buying their fertilizer from Abu Dhabi. Well, I think farmers have been quite happy about fertilizer. <laughs> I mean, not just historically, but more recently, because prices have been down. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a link with oil prices, which, of course, you know, from their peaks in the summer of 2014 have, have fallen quite away. Um, but also increased competition, the, sort of a byproduct of, if you excuse the pun, of the shale revolution in the US is there was more gas feedstock available to make things like fertilizer. So there were less imports into the US which meant that producers in the Gulf, in the Caribbean, in China, elsewhere, um, had less of a market. Mm-hmm. So that's partly why prices fell as well. So really, this move um, by Adnoc to merge its unit with OCI, it kind of represents quite a creative response to what's been a fairly soft industry of late. And also, it feeds right into their downstream strategy of increasing the number of products they're actually offering, not just drilling, but to put it in a very basic term, you know, actually selling the stuff that you can create from pumping oil out of the ground. Yeah. And not just relying on shifting cargoes mm-hmm. to Asia, whatever it is, which would, you know, be much more cyclical. I mean, to a certain extent, everything is cyclical. I mean, we've talked about this before. Uh, we talk about the non-oil economy, but it's intertwined with the oil economy. But right. it's what you do with your oil, maximizing the revenue out of it, um, which is which is more than which to do that you have to do more than just sell it, mm-hmm. um, and this is what Adnoc's been about since early 2016. Ever since Dr. Sultan Al Jabra became CEO, is it how can we be a more profitable entity? Mm-hmm. How can we be more about you know the oil business and, and the derivatives of it and going as they say downstream and creating different economies within the UAE as well. Ruiz now is set to become a petrochemical hub as a result of this massive deal. Uh, you know, generating jobs, creating greater cash flow throughout the country, even with more employees, more industry. So, yeah, it's an exciting next step for Adnoc and right in line with its 2030 strategy. You're right. And actually, they said that, you know, creating this entity, which has two plants in waste, as you quite appropriately pointed out, that being an important place, is is also going to attract more investment of other people because it's not just the unit of the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company now. It's part of the operations of what is a Middle East champion mm-hmm. and is related to a global company, which is which is OCI. So yeah, OCI is owned by the Egyptian billionaire of the Sawiris family, Nasif Sawiris, in this case, is the CEO. They're a big family. Everyone knows them in the region. They have other businesses, construction, for example. Um, OCI is is listed out of Holland, um, but it's an Egyptian company mm-hmm. in its or, of its origin. And so you have an Egyptian company, effectively, culturally, maybe not anymore, maybe more of a global company, but that's merging with a, a UAE company that, again, is trying to be modern and international. And you've got something very interesting. We don't often get cross-border deals like this. Right. And if we do, they're usually like a proper takeover. And I mean, it signals to, I mean, last year, Adnoc bought a 33% stake in France's Total as prepared to do exactly what it's doing now. Yeah. Which, um, Total, yeah, the, the, the ownership of the fertilizers unit that Total had. Exactly. Excuse yeah, me. so right. it, it took it off them mm-hmm. to basically pave the way right. for this to So happen. they've been laying the groundwork, and so this is one of the one of the bigger steps now, um, and 
and here we go <laughs> into fertilizers. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I think it's it's maybe perhaps fertilizers is never going to catch the imagination. We have to we have to say we can't win that battle. Sure. But yeah. with the idea of of what's being done in this segment of the industry is perhaps exciting for for what else what else could happen down the line in terms of of deals and business and creative responses to to what is you know a hugely competitive landscape right now. Mm-hmm. I like that message of creative responses and massive expansion as well just overnight. It's very exciting. Yeah. Um and if we sort of go more broadly now and leave behind the rarefied world of fertilizers and and move into aviation. It's the Paris Air Show this week. Um, yes, from fertilizers to Paris, that classic, that, that classic um, transit. Often, often people talk um, from one to the other, I think. But uh, the Paris Air Show kicks off, big event for the industry. It's coincided with um, a relatively tough week for the playmaker Boeing. Um, apparently Emirates uh, is in talks to renegotiate the terms of a huge 777X order. A, a number of reasons for this, um, but essentially what Emirates wants to play around with, the number of aircraft is getting at, at particular times. Mm-hmm. So they want to basically, uh, Emirates helped kind of get the 777X manufactured in the first place. They're a buyer of nearly half of the 320 that are set to roll off the assembly line. Uh, and Emirates had basically said, yes, he wants to shift the timeline by which they're acquiring about 150 777Xs in the next couple of years. So yeah, tough conversation for Boeing to be having this week in Paris. And then another tough conversation was Oman Air's chief also said as he was headed to Paris that, you know, if he doesn't get a response on what's going on with the Boeing 737 MAX very soon, because they've been struggling financially, materially, as a result of its grounding, that he would take a lunch with Airbus. Um, So these are very real conversations that are going on in Paris this week over the fate of Boeing. It's funny because you would have said a year and a half ago, perhaps, that Boeing was in a much stronger position than Airbus. And, you know, there's ongoing dragging affair about the A380, the, the you know, the super jumbo and its future, which has now been resolved in the sense that it has no future, except that Emirates is going to take on sort of a last cachet of planes. But beyond that, that's it. But in some ways... That's had a knock-on effect for Boeing. And then with the 737 MAX tragedies, it's suddenly very much on the back foot. And I guess, you know, the overriding lesson is um, for any major business is nothing is worse for you than uncertainty. Mm -hmm. Certainty, even if it's bad news, people can deal with. Right. And as of right now, 737 MAX operators actually do not have a set timeline. The U.S. regulator, the FAA, has not said really when the 737 MAX is set to take to the skies again. The best they've said is maybe by Christmas. So, yeah, it's still very uncertain. There's no set. And Boeing also has not put out any real blueprint for how it returns to the skies, except for this week they also said it may undergo a rebranding. So in lieu of certainty, we're getting uh, perhaps – Perhaps at least it may undergo a PR rehabilitation. Well, as long as the plane's fine. As long as the plane is fine. Anything they like. I think that they've done some market testing and found that passengers actually, you cannot call it anything (laughs) that they they would like, that Max actually is kind of a damaging moniker now. So that they've said that they're open to dropping it, which is interesting because it was a actually a recommendation made by Donald Trump a few weeks ago, I think, on Twitter that everyone kind of laughed off. And now Boeing's in Paris, and one of the substantive things they can now say is that's something we're at least considering. 
Well, he does know his marketing. He does. The US <laughs> president. That is true. That's for sure. Um, and, you know, the a final thought on this, I guess, is is that um, the, the Dreamliner 787, which is a slightly smaller plane, may come into the mix now as part of Emirates' negotiations over this 777X order. Um, and, and so they're, they're undergoing a different uh, conversation again about their own fleet, their mm. own capacity. Again, we've talked about this before, is like for Emirates, their model is changing too. Right. I mean, it comes amid a shift for the global aviation industry in general. I mean, there's weaker economic growth, tighter profit margins for the entire industry, uh, higher costs, fair wars as budget airlines kind of jockey for like bargain basement prices, all kind of denting profitability, making CEOs and boards rethink their entire strategies. And the Paris Air Show is becoming the stage upon which we're hearing all these conversations now take place. I touched upon this on the top of the show. The uh, Nationals Head of Features, Nairi McFarlane, recently visited Facebook's Menlo Park headquarters to get the inside track on how things work inside the social media company. Kelsey, you spoke to her about it. I have, yes. All the inside gossip on what's going on there in Menlo Park. What are they eating? How are they recruiting? What does day-to-day life look like? Uh, How are they getting to work? Just the ins and outs. And then also just what's Sheryl Sandberg like in real life? Well, let's hear that conversation now. Hi, Nairi. Hi, how are you? Thank you for joining us here in the podcast studio. I hear it's your first podcast. Yes, it is. Welcome. No worries. No worries. Well, uh, try to make it as pain-free as possible. I was just so excited to hear that you had headed last week to Facebook's headquarters in Menlo Park, California. So I just wanted to start out by asking, how did you come to find yourself at FBHQ? They held an international press day specifically for lifestyle media. So it was to learn what they're doing, to learn what their future is. It very much felt like they were a company that were aware that they had some probably some branding and image issues mm. and they wanted to show what their new direction is. Sure. So like when you say lifestyle media, what, what does that mean? There were people from East Asia, a lot of people from South and Latin America, a lot of people from North America. And I was the only person, I think, from the Middle East. Um, but th- there was a combination of sort of entertainment media, people from Entertainment Tonight, people, bloggers, people who might use Facebook as influencers, and then people who might report about it. Mm-hmm. But then they had a couple of people from like CNN and some tech reporters who looked like they were a little bit bewildered by some of the content. As, <laughs> why am I here and what yeah. are we doing? Yeah. yeah. So you and how many other kind of media pros? About out? 30 people. So, 30 people invited out to Facebook mm. so that they could kind of learn from you or how did, how did it, it was really work? very much one way us yeah. learning from although now we have to give them honest feedback apparently Facebook is the company has a culture of extreme feedback which okay. they were talking about <laughs> um, some people were saying that they put their performance reviews on the intranet for everyone to see because that's they believe in this sort of extreme feedback so I'm, I'm about to give them some extreme feedback that is terrifying <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know if I would ever want to do that no. but you went out to kind of learn from them what their new tools are for lifestyle. But amidst all this, there Mm. was a big Wall Street Journal expose that Mark Zuckerberg may have known as far back as 2012, the depth to which third-party app developers were kind of surveilling Facebook users Mm. and were gaining access to personal information from Facebook users. So 
Sheryl Sandberg, I think, took to the stage just a few hours after this story broke, right? She was, yeah, she was slated to be there and it was a lifestyle day. So I think she was expecting quite softball questions and stuff probably. Um, But she did turn up just after this had happened and there were a bunch of, there were people from, uh, you know, a lot of US media there. And so they did ask her not directly about that, but they did ask her a lot about privacy and stuff. And she did look quite stressed, to be honest. She looked stressed. Yeah. I know you can't (laughs) say that about someone, but I mean, and then she ran out straight away afterwards Mm -hmm. and someone had a headset for her ready to go on a conference call. Wow. So it was clear she had the exact little, amount of time. A little intense. Yeah. And also at this time, there was a viral video of the deep fake style yes. video yes. of Mark Zuckerberg kind of boasting yes. that uh, Facebook had, you know, was all knowing and all powerful and had access to everyone's information and da da da. And then it came out, of course, that that was fake. But, you know, it gets into that whole fake news issue that Facebook is confronting right now. Their global and, head of security was asked about that at the event, and she said that. They said, would they take that down because that was Mark Zuckerberg and it would affect their business? And she said, an absolute, she was very firm on that. She was like, I can say unequivocally that doesn't matter who is in the video. It's all about their violations. They actually did a sort of test with us where they put images up and text and said, Should, would we take this down on our regulations? And we got a lot of them wrong. They talked a lot about how they're a freedom of expression platform and they will get it wrong sometimes. So like what were some of the images that you saw that you were kind of jarred to? There was some very uh, strong language in relation to Brett Kavanaugh, sort of anti-woman. Mm. And they decided, we all said, we all put up these these paddles and we put up, I put up, yes, it should be taken down. (laughs) And they were like, no, because it's not, it doesn't attack a person, it attacks an idea. Okay. Um, So they considered that. These are some real big ethical questions that they're grappling with these days. Like they're becoming really the arbiters of what free speech even means. Yes. And they're a global, of course, company. So were you were you taken by Sheryl Sandberg? Were you impressed by how Facebook is embracing this new role? Because it does kind of seem like a new role. They've been following the whole Russia meddling in U.S. elections have sort of been thrust into this spotlight of and being held really accountable. Did, were you impressed by kind of how they're grappling with this? Or Yeah, I mean, you could tell that a lot of the media in there just wanted them to get it wrong. And I don't really I don't really want Facebook to get it wrong. I obviously want them to get it right. You know, they were re- a lot of the media were just ready to pounce on anything negative, which mm. I can understand given the last year. Sheryl uh, Sandberg was an amazing orator, obviously, but she was quite upfront. She talked about how they abs- she was like, we absolutely do not listen in on what you're saying. Um, she said, we know about you based on what you do on the platform. Uh, she talked a lot about groups. Like she was obsessed with groups. They were all talking about how they want to build a sense of community. They're doing a lot of look into what can make social media add social value. Um, so groups meaning they're going to kind of privatize or segment the newsfeed experience so that users, this is kind of, how, correct me if I'm wrong, but so that users are in kind of smaller chat rooms almost. It's kind of a retro concept even yeah, yeah. Um, to bring users into a cl- closed, less public forum. Yeah. So and you could have a group. So Cheryl said herself that she has a group called, I think it's option B about grief support because she obviously lost her husband. Um, we met a young Australian man. He was 18. He'd started a group called Subtle Asian Traits. And he's, I think within a year, he got more than a million people in the group. And it's basically a group for first generation Asian immigrants who live in the West. So like how, so it's full of funny memes, but Mm -hmm. it's also about that experience of growing up with parents who are maybe grew up in China, but you grew up in Boston or something. Mm -hmm. And he's 
got a million followers. And all these admins, they do it in their spare time for free. So my thing in my head was like, this is going to be the next thing to be monetized. Sure. Because Instagram influencers obviously Figured is showing to be a bit hollow. Whereas this guy has a million people of a certain bracket in society who are super engaged with him so i thought right and it's actual substantive conversations around i mean it doesn't necessarily have to be and the groups can be any size and i follow some really frivolous groups (laughs) but also like the there was one a woman who had started a group called girl gone international she was scottish and she was living in hamburg and she was in a at the time in an abusive relationship and she was really struggling to find friends and she found a lot of the um, expat female groups like you had to be a mum or you had to be of a certain nationality. So she started this Girl Gone International and now there's a Girl Gone International for many different cities and they've got more than 200,000. So then there's chapters and yeah, so given... You, you help each other out. Yeah, and given Facebook's breadth, it's not like it's a chat room that needs to really find users. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> and she said it's a scalable model because she can give someone in... Mm-hmm. Thailand. So that was Thailand right. So that was kind of the product that they were pushing to their lifestyle editors yes, audience big time. Big time. Um, that week. But groups and stories. Group <laughs> coming to us in the next quarter. Do you know the timing of when? Th- Wait. So these are sorry. These are. They talked about Facebook dating as well, which is um, is coming out later in the year. Mm-hmm. Groups are already a big thing. I've just betrayed that I actually have not been on Facebook in about a year. <laughs> I have no idea what's going well, on on Facebook. Problem. That was part of their exodus. That's uh, their big problem. They know that younger people are not a on Facebook. Bit hypocritically, I'm still on WhatsApp, but because WhatsApp is owned by Facebook, so I haven't really. Um, just because of my personal sense around security. But uh, okay, I want to get into kind of the more fun gossipy stuff of what is it like to actually just be at FB headquarters? And are there slides and scooters and candy machines? And is there an Instagram v Facebook rivalry? Uh, because Facebook owns Instagram, yeah. and they share office space sort of or adjacent we office space. We went to the Instagram like, office very quickly, but we didn't stay there for long. The most confused, I mean, it's an entire suburb. It's dozens and dozens of buildings. And it's very confusing because the buildings are numbered, but in no particular order. And they don't make sense. So, like, you could be in building 28, but there's not 28 buildings. It's kind of like the algorithm. <laughs> Just throw stuff at you. But um, we had to bus around, and you could see that there were buses. Their buses start, I think, 3 a.m., and they take people from 3 a.m. to 9 p.m., the shuttle buses, and they take people between the offices and then to Oakland, San Francisco, everything. To popular housing hubs. Yes. And we went to the main campus. So there's the new campus, which is designed by Frank Gehry and is still under construction. They say like at least twelve to 15,000 people work there now and they're planning to double that. So they're building, building, building. Um, the new campus designed by Frank Gehry is very, it's like a big warehouse. It looks like a university. Everything looks like university. In the toilets, when you're in the toilet, there's like tips on like, you know, what the, what the company culture is about and stuff. They even had a sign saying, don't drink the water from the toilet. So, um, and then, <laughs> which was, I thought, unusual. Which suggested that people might <laughs> think that that's a good idea. There's enough free canteens. There was like a free biryani place, a free steak place, a free burger place, everything. There's a lot of free food. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the original campus, which they took over from Suncorp, which is a tech company that failed. And their main sign, they only have one big sign in the entire, like, dozens of buildings. Uh, it's quite like subtle that it's Facebook. It's subtly branded. But they have one big sign that's like one hacker way. And on the back of that sign, they still have Suncorp's old rotted out sign to basically remind them. And that's something Sheryl Sandberg said. She was like, we are more likely to be usurped than any other company because tech is always changing. And I think they know that. They know that they could be in trouble. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so SunTrust, this or Suncorp, it, the old sign serves as a 
cautionary tale yeah. and a reminder of yeah if they're not if they're not careful yeah. the the fate that they could face yeah but then on the flip side they have these signs everywhere that say move fast they used to have signs everywhere that said move fast and break things mm-hmm. but they changed them they got rid of break things <laughs> after the last two years they had and they realized this one woman was she's like the global head of marketing she was talking about how they've seen a bigger shift in culture in the last two years than they have in the entire time at Facebook and they had like a real naivety and she said they now have a huge bulk of the workforce thinking about bad things people do on Facebook and she said they didn't have that two years ago so I thought that was interesting well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you. On the Business Extra podcast. You jump desks. We appreciate it. <laughs> no worries. Thanks. That was Nairi McFarlane talking to Kelsey Warner. Kelsey, thanks to you for being with us this thanks, week. Mr. Um, if you've enjoyed this show, please do subscribe on Apple Podcasts or any platform that you listen to your audio content on. Uh, leave a kind review by all means. All that remains is to thank our production team, uh, Aisha Khan and Hannah Finity, and you all for listening. Do join us again next time. Mm-hmm.